0: My guest is entertainer-producer George Bugatti, who has also become a playwright with Trial on the Potomac, The Impeachment of Richard Nixon, which opened on Broadway with Rich Little and is now a film, which recently premiered in Las Vegas. For everything about Trial on the Potomac, go to trialonthepotomac.com. And for everything about George Bugatti, go to georgebugatti.com. And George, welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show you've been on. You were on a long time ago. My heavens. Yeah, we talked about that yesterday. Yeah. I can't even I remember don't... when it was. It was, as I mentioned to you, kind of in a joking way, it was on my old show or my old, old show or my old, old, old show. But you've been a fixture in Las Vegas for a while. What brought you to Las Vegas originally? Because your background, of course, is you studied piano from the age of five. You went to the School of Performing Arts in New York City. You were accepted to Juilliard. There's a whole history with you and entertainment. And then you
1: moved to Las Vegas. What brought you to Las Vegas? Well, the first time I, I came here was uh, with Steve Allen. Uh, he had I was working with him in Los Angeles, and uh, he had uh, his old Tonight Show with the original desk. And he would he would travel not across the country, just on the West Coast, and with some of the uh, some of his uh, cohorts, you know, Louis Nye and Bill Dana and Tom Poston and Don Knotts, and uh, he invited me to uh, to do a couple of songs in the show. So the first time I came here was in the Steve Allen show. In the Congo Room at the Old Sahara, that was many years ago. Wow, nineteen ninety-five, maybe something like that. Ninety-four, ninety-five. That was the first time. Uh, the second time I was here was with George Hamilton. I knew him in Los Angeles, and he was opening a cigar bar. I remember that cigar bar. Remember right. that? Yeah, absolutely. When you when you could smoke in in in, in bars and, and stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh so that was uh that was a year or two after in new york new york and so i was here he brought me in for a couple of weeks put me up the new york new york it's exciting and then uh i i finally came here and and became a resident in 1998 when steve uh, steve Wynn brought me in to bellagia i was in the old fontana room then they moved me into the allegra room do you remember those rooms oh yes
0: Great rooms. Yeah, absolutely. So you decided to stay here. This is your base of operations, yeah. and you've always been working and creating. And I want to get into the into the play in a little while, because this is a whole new venture for you, and adventure, I would think, too. The changes that you've seen in Las Vegas since you've been here from the world of entertainment, how does that strike you? Because it's so different compared to when you, as you met, well, the first time with Steve Allen, and, and then later on with George Hamilton, and later on with the opening of Bellagio, but it's clearly changed a lot how do you see it from the perspective of an entertainer producer
1: i i have find and and, and this is just my perspective well know. that's why i'm asking but, you i don't want anybody yeah, else yeah thank you yeah thank you <laughs> you know uh, well i just don't have any empirical uh, you know evidence to to support my claim other than you know i've noticed that there there is uh, just a, a a lack of a lot of a lot of live music in in the major casinos, in terms of the lounges and in terms of, I'm not talking about the big performances of the the stars, of the headliners. You know, you have, you find that in local venues, you'll find it like the bootlegger Bistro, which has been around for a long time. And Lorraine Hunt, uh, Bono and Dennis Bono, they, they, they keep that alive, which is wonderful. They're big proponents of live music. And I think they've got it six, seven days a week there. Casa de Amore also. Uh, which are, you know, another place that I've been affiliated with for a long time. And you've got little places, you've got the Chianti Cafe, and you've got some other places that have live music locally. But the difference, I think, is in the live accessible music in the casinos. So that, it's one of the changes that I see. Yeah.
0: Are you optimistic about the future of live entertainment in Las Vegas, whether it's on the strip downtown or outside around, as you mentioned, some of the venues, the local venues?
1: You know, I don't, I don't know. I think I think live music will always exist. Where it exists is uh is gonna be driven by the powers that be. You know, I'm not privy to the information that that they have and I would think that they're smart enough to know, you know, what it is that brings in revenue and keeps things alive. I'm I'm not smart enough to know that stuff. <laughs> How did you segue from what you do
0: in Las Vegas to all of a sudden getting involved in a play and getting involved with Rich Little who performs in the play and then the film. What was it about the subject matter that intrigued you and how did you go about creating this?
1: Well, I've been writing shows for uh, probably the past 15 years. Uh, The Harold Arlen show uh, that I worked with, Sam Arlen, the composer's son. Uh, We did uh, The Wonderful Wizard of Song and that toured across America. I did another one called Portraits of America. I've written a couple of symphony shows. When I was in New York, I had, uh, I was a classical pianist. If I could just go back a little bit, uh, which supports what I'm going to say. I had had an accident to my right hand where I wasn't competitive anymore. I lost all the movement feeling in my right hand for a long, long time. And so I, I wanted to stay in the arts and I've always loved theater and I always loved music, classical as well as pop. And I went to NYU and studied theater instead of music for four years that's where i got my degree i got a bfa there and after that i took writing classes i took writing courses for a couple of years so i always found that that supported what i was doing in terms of re- i've always loved research as well so researching songs and finding out about them and i put those in my shows and i'd write little bumper things little pieces of dialogue that got me or others that i worked with either on stage or off stage so i've been doing that in some measure for a lot of years When the book, I've also had a fascination with American presidents, and specifically Richard Nixon. Don't ask me why, but I (laughs) I find him to be, I find him to be continued to be, and it's, I've held this passion for his uh, work and his life story for 35, 40 years, and uh, maybe longer. And uh, every time I uh, go into a bookstore, I go to the, you know, section that had uh, books on presidents and uh, American history, and I tried to find something on Nixon, old bookstores as well. And so I have a collection, and I would, uh, throughout the years, just read them. When this book came out by Jeff Shepard called The Real Watergate Scandal, I bought it and it laid it on my shelf it's right there. You can see it in the back. I can't. Our it's listeners can't. can't, but yeah, I
0: you see. You can't? That.
1: Ah, okay. It's right there. Um, <laughs> we're on Zoom. That's right. Um, and, uh, uh, well, you, you can go to uh, JeffShepherd.com as well and find out a lot about it. It's fascinating. He, uh, uh, he wrote this book. It laid on my shelf. Two years went by. I read it. And the first thing that came to mind was, my God, if we could give Nixon the trial that he never got, because in, the book presents a lot of information that Jeff is, discovered
0: throughout the past. And years. just to, real quick, the background on Jeff that enabled him to write this book on Richard
1: Nixon. He was a, the youngest, uh, or one of the youngest, uh, lawyers in the Nixon White House. Went to Whittier College, just as Nixon did. Got a scholarship from Nixon uh vice, vice president at the time. And then uh, went to Harvard. And after that, became a, a lawyer in the Nixon White House and worked there for five years. I was very disappointed in Nixon when uh, angry at him. When, uh, you know, everything that went down and everything that was believed to be true at the time was uh, a common knowledge. So he, uh, I guess after after about 20 years or so, 15, 20 years, uh, post-White House, he started researching uh, things in the National Archives, things that he had seen and questions that he had had. And uh, lo and behold, he put the pieces of the puzzle together documents that proved and sh- showed uh, prosecutorial mis- judicial misconduct and so he's he's been uh, he's been a dog in a bone but rightly so there's a lot of information there and uh, I just thought this would make a, a wonderful play and so I started writing it I, I contacted him and he right there on the phone said pitch me what's your idea and and we've been uh, collaborating for the past three years. Is he optimistic or pessimistic, and are
0: you optimistic or pessimistic that that part of the Nixon saga, and there are people who like Richard Nixon, there are people that dislike him, there are people that love him, there are people that hate him, but the overriding principle based on what I hear you saying is he didn't get his trial, and in America you're considered innocent until proven guilty, and so this is a metaphor for that. Is he optimistic or pessimistic and are you optimistic or pessimistic about history taking a different look at Nixon based on the material in the book and then, of course, on your play and subsequent film?
1: I don't, I'm hopeful. I'm not optimistic or pessimistic. I think the best that we can hope for is that questions are raised. I think the best that we can hope for is that people just say, hmm, what if, what if, take a look at it. If something else happens, if we can change the arc of history, that really is truly has become uh, the driving force for me in this. At first, I thought it was a wonderful project. Now, it's a project. It's it's wonderful to be involved in something that's bigger than me. It's not about me. This is not about my music. This is not about me singing. It's not even about me writing. I'm trying to tell the story. I'm trying to take these documents and make them dramatic and breathe life into them so that they can be absorbed and digested by the everyman. And when you finished the play, you were collaborating,
0: you mentioned with Jeff, Craig On this, yeah. was he satisfied with your approach to the play and subsequent film? Or did he feel that it was a little bit different than the book? I mean, clearly, you can't do a play based solely on the book. It has to be more dramatic, which you made it. So it's the trial versus the book, which recommends that there could have been a trial or should have been a trial, I guess. But was he pleased with the results of what you did?
1: Well, the short answer is yes. Along the way, I would write and I would send it to him and he would come back with three pages of notes. So if it were up to him, and he'll and he'll say this and he does say this, you know, for up to him, he would just write one long legal brief that would put everybody to sleep. And it was my my job to be able to distill the information into just a few lines in every scene, and to make them quick and in and out, and get the point across. So um it was a, it was a wonderful, and it continues to be a wonderful working relationship. And yes, I think he is happy with it. I think we've got some notes now that we've post uh, the New York production because we are looking to bring it back, and we're in talks to bring it back. There are some things that we'll do differently. Yeah, he was, uh, he is wonderful in. Uh, And giving me the rope to hang myself.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, you decided on Rich Little, and that makes sense because Rich is known for a lot of impressions, including Richard Nixon. Did you approach
1: Rich, or were you involved with Jeff in approaching Rich? How did that work? No, well, you know, at the time, I wouldn't say that Rich was a friend, but we were acquaintances. I knew him from town, from, you know, being here for, for quite a while, and I've seen him at different events, and I thought, you know, who else? There, who else would, you know, he's right here, and this is a dramatic role. I'm hoping that he sees, you know, my vision in this, and that we can do it uh, as a, a purely dramatic, you know, with a dramatic intention. There are some light moments in the play, but not with Nixon. You know, this is a, a very hard-hitting piece, hard-hitting role, and uh, and he was game. He was wonderful. He was phenomenal. I mean, it's it's uh, he he just dazzles people with his performances. You know, I I cried when I saw it the first few times, uh, and every now and again when I see some of his work, I, I still choke up because it's just that good.
0: Do you think the challenge for being fair—that's in quotes—the challenge for being fair to Richard Nixon is a he was not the most likable politician all along i mean he came from a background that he was never if you compare him to john f kennedy going that far back or even earlier he was not a likable person i guess he had he had moments where he could be likable but in general he didn't have that type of personality so it's a leap of faith to ask people to be quote unquote fair in analyzing this new material and in the play and in the film because of that unlikability and the fact that from a political standpoint, a lot of things that he stood for were opposed by so many people, and especially when he was president during the Vietnam War and how that all ended. Again, this is a very long question, but I I guess it comes down to can the play and film get a fair hearing if people can put aside their feelings about Richard Nixon? I think so. I absolutely think so,
1: you know. Because you're you're not sugarcoating him in the play or in the film. No, not at all. All we do is every piece, uh, every every scene, every claim that we make in the dramatic scenes is supported by documents. And the documents are there. They're on the website. They're on my website. They're on the play's website. They're on Jeff Shepard's website for you to take a look at and compare to uh, what we present we actually uh, in the playbill we said that all the information contained is corroborated absolutely to be true that's our pact with the audience it's a very it was it a was surprising pleasantly surprising if if you believe that the information exonerates him we don't we don't exonerate him in the play but it was surprising to find that in all the performances we did at the end of each performance Well, at the beginning, when people walk in, we give them a ballot so that at the end they, of the play, they can either say guilty or not guilty. And they put it in a ballot box and we tally them up. All the plays in New York City that we did, of all the performances, only one audience voted for his conviction and removal from office. And we found that to be very interesting.
0: It's a two track thing as I see it. There's the resigning, which he decided to do. Or you have a trial and see whether he's guilty once you impeach him. He chose to resign, Nixon, rather than go through all of that and put the nation through that. So one could argue he did the right thing at the time, even though he may have survived a trial. May have, because as you said, your audience can vote one way or
1: the other. I think the question becomes, if he knew then what we know now, would he have resigned? Would he have stood for an impeachment trial and said, you know what? My lawyers have information. What you think you know or what you have presented is either manufactured or incorrect or misguided or politically driven or all of the above. So I think that's the key key question. If he knew then what we know now. Based on your research, and clearly you're in
0: touch with Jeffrey all along the way of writing the play, There are several key pieces of evidence that was either withheld, or as you said, there's evidence of prosecutorial misconduct. From your point of view as the playwright, what was the most important piece of evidence one way or the other
1: in the material? Something called the roadmap, which Jeff Shepard got unsealed in 2018, which showed the prosecutor's actual roadmap in naming Nixon an unindicted co-conspirator. It was based on manufactured evidence. It was absolutely, what they claimed, and if I could just take a quick minute, what they claimed was that John Dean had told Nixon in that famous speech in the office about uh, the, the blackmail money. And, you know, people have heard about all the thoughts, the stream of consciousness, and Nixon saying, well, you know, a million dollars, we could find that. I know where we could get it. They were talking about a lot of things. At the end of the day, Nixon's decision was, let's not do that. John Dean, write a report about this. We'll present it to the Irwin Committee for an entirely new investigation on what's going on. And John Dean never wrote that report. Instead, he went to Congress for immunity. They granted it to him. He flips sides. So uh, that's sort of a... There's, there's a lot of information. Yeah, it's no, right I know, I know. It's for, been, your, for your audience to grasp. I know. You can't go uh, too... Go going back to your question, answering right. the question, I think I think the single most damning piece of evidence that uh, shows that Nixon was railroaded is the roadmap.
0: Okay, good. Yeah, no, I know we could get into the weeds. I don't want to get too crazy after a while. Is the film a film of the play or
1: is it a separate film altogether no it's a film of the play we okay. did it on, on one night so it's a it's a good representation it's it's what you get when you just have one shot at it right so filled, filled with everything that you that you have and the 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 slight uh uh imperfections and technical and and uh but the, the, the performance is a strong
0: well, without getting too technical again into the weeds, but was it a three-camera shoot, a two-camera shoot, a one-camera
1: shoot? How did you do it, was, it? It was it was actually three cameras and a lockdown. Okay. And a wide angle. So it was four cameras. Okay.
0: Interesting. And then, of course, they, all the performers were mic'd, so you fed into the audio. Again, we're getting too technical for our audience, but I was just yeah, curious. Yeah, yeah. But I like to ask these questions, so it's fine. Sure. Did you get any reaction or did the what remains of the Nixon family, did they come, any of them come to see the
1: play? Yes. Trisha Nixon came down, Ed Cox, her husband, came down several times. And one of the performances, we were on stage afterwards and uh, he had become emotional. He had, it it touched him um, visibly, you know, the same happened with me. It happened with Jeff to see, to see this happen, but especially for the Nixon family, to uh, for it to touch them and for Trisha to come down was amazing for us. And they lived it at the time, so including Ed. Very Edward. difficult, right? Very difficult for them. To Trisha initially did not want to come down, but she had heard so much about it that she she thought I've got to come. Uh, Julie, on the other hand, could not bring herself. You have to understand what they went through. These are wounds that are still open. You know, yeah. A lot of time has passed, but some of those
0: things have major impact for people especially relatives and especially daughters. So yeah, I, I understand that completely. What's your vision for the the film? Do you want it to appear in a mass distribution situation or more in selective venues around the country or maybe in what they used to call art houses, art film houses, where people can see it as a very specialized film? Are you looking at bringing it into a festival, film festival situation? And how much does the fact that it's about Nixon, are there headwinds as a result? Again, you're not saying he's guilty or, or not guilty. You are presenting, the, based on the archives, you're presenting the, the play and the film. But some people are have such... Uh, as as we just talked about, the family has one set of experiences and the nation had another set of experiences. And there are people alive today, clearly, because it, it wasn't that far back. Well, it was far back, but people are still alive who went through that as a, as citizens. And so they have very strong feelings one way or the other. They may not even want to see it because they feel so strongly that Nixon's guilty
1: or that Nixon's
0: not guilty. So how do you how do you address those challenges?
1: You know, in terms of the when you say art houses, I'll take the first part of the question first.
0: And I know my questions for some reason I think it's a subject matter. I'm getting into way too long of questions. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, you know, Jeff was on the and just on a, a personal, well, your audience can hear it. Jeff was on the Mark Levin show uh, just uh, earlier this week and uh we've got the uh, uh the, the the audio will be on trollandpotomic.com so you can go there and listen to it. What we're doing is uh I'm I'm in discussions with Fathom Events and Fathom uh distributes all across America with Regal and AMC. And they do independent projects. So they'll do live from the med or boxing matches or lectures, et cetera, et cetera. And so, so what, we're do, what we're looking to do is to have this in limited markets and really as a tool to excite people, to inform people in support of phase two of the play when we go back to New York. And that's what that's for.
0: And before I let you go, what's the most important thing you learned from the process of writing this play?
1: That's a great question. Can I get back to you on that? <laughs> uh, wow! You know, I haven't I haven't given that much thought. My thinking, it's, it's, my thinking is that.
0: Horror. Well, here's the thing. My thinking is that you had an idea. You read the book. You decided to write a play. You're collaborating with the author of the book. The play becomes a reality. You're in New York. It's a film now. So there are so many elements to this. For you personally, but that's why I I also wanted to go through that long monologue, to give you a chance to think of an answer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, very very kind of you, very experienced of you, and and you actually did help me. Thank you. The subject matter is so wet, it's so juicy. Now it may be to a, a small audience, but all I did was build. Uh, I build upon, a uh, built upon something that was already there. That was the book. I turned it into a play, and then the film. And these are just bricks. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of the bricklayer. I'm the, I'm the guy who's putting it all together. I'm lucky enough to be putting it all together. What did I learn from this? I think you just have to keep going. I think at any, at any point uh in a process uh you know you see you see houses in construction and there's a couple of houses in my neighborhood that have been under tarp for over a year and the reason being is you know you'll see a little bit of work done and then they run out of money and then they save money and then they keep going and then they build a little bit more so it takes time i think i think you have to have a commitment you have to have a passion for it and you just have to stay true to what you're doing. Um, In this case, I'm very lucky that this project, as I said in the beginning, is much bigger than me. And um, I think if you just stick through it, you you can accomplish everything that you want to accomplish.
0: Well, that's a great way to end it. My guest has been entertainer producer George Bugatti, who has also become a playwright with Trial on the Potomac. The Impeachment of Richard Nixon, which opened on Broadway with Rich Little and is now a film which recently premiered here in Las Vegas. For everything about Trial on the Potomac, go to trialonthepotomac.com. And for everything about George Bugatti, go to georgebugatti.com. George, thanks for being on the show.
1: Thank you, Ira. Loved it. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas
0: with Ira. Each week, Ivor David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world.